Hello there and welcome to Monday's Richie Allen Show. It's an absolutely beautiful afternoon out there in Salford. It's gorgeous, a little bit chilly mind, but it's warming up. Spring has sprung, there you go. Bet you never heard that one before. I've got two very good guests for you today. Let's chat then, you and me. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, busy one today. Marilyn Hawes from Freedom from Abuse is back on the Richie Allen Show to talk about UK government plans to tackle grooming gangs. Serious stuff this. Marilyn joins me this hour. A little bit later on, Paul Craig Roberts, Dr. Paul Craig Roberts is back on the Richie Allen Show to talk about, well, we'll talk Ukraine, we'll talk Russia, we'll talk about why he believes that the USA at the moment, the United States, is more Nazi than the Third Reich. He's written about that on his website, paulcraigroberts.org. So much to talk about this afternoon on Monday's Richie Allen Show. It is April 3rd, 2023. This is Easter week, isn't it? It's Easter week. All right. Yeah, good. How, how has your weekend been? Incidentally, join in, please, via my website, richieallen.co.uk. Have an, have an opinion, do you? Well, share it then. Don't keep it to yourself, you selfish backstirred. Share it with me. That's what I want to, to see today. Speaking of Suella Braverman and the UK Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, and I will be talking with Marilyn about this very story a little bit later on this hour, probably in about 25 minutes. Uh, Victims of grooming gangs were ignored because of political correctness, right? We heard this yesterday. Today was the day the government laid out plans to deal with it. Rishi Sunak wants to put together a police task force. Yes, Lieutenant Frank Drebin. No, no, somebody more intelligent than than him. Specialist officers will be sent to help forces with their investigations. So each force will be sent a specialist officer, right? And better ethnicity, not easy for me to say, better ethnicity data will help to ensure abusers do not evade justice due to cultural sensitivities. That's what the government has laid out. The Labour Party has said the proposals are far too inadequate and they have accused the government of dog whistling. Do you understand what that term means? Look it up. Under the new plans, more data on the makeup of grooming gangs, including ethnicity, would help ensure suspects cannot hide behind cultural sensitivities. Right, okay. Let's um, hear from Suella Braverman. She's the Home Secretary. She's speaking to a GB News reporter today. It's clear that this has been a scandal uh, that has gone on for far too long. Vulnerable girls... Uh, in troubling circumstances have been dismissed, have been ignored when they have justifiably complained about sexual abuse, exploitation, being drugged or being raped. Uh, And there has been a failure on the part of state agencies, social workers, teachers, the police, to take seriously those concerns. Uh, It's on the back of this 
challenge and uh, a real problem uh, which is ingrained in some of our institutions that the Prime Minister and I have now announced a series of package which take us forward, which will ensure that there's now a mandatory duty on uh, child safeguarding professionals to report when they have concerns about exploitation or vulnerabilities. I think that will make a big difference in the action that will be incumbent on professionals to take. We saw in Rotherham and in Rochdale, in those scandals, that government officials and police officers were not prosecuted despite reports proving that they knew what was going on. Do you hope that with your reforms and with mandatory reporting in particular, that a ethos and a culture of accountability will be introduced? Yes, I think that imposing a duty on professionals will lead to a culture change, will, need to, will lead to professional change. Ultimately, uh, silence enabled this abuse, silence on the part of professionals, fear of being called racist, fear about cultural sensitivities, fear about inflaming cohesion in communities. Uh, it is absolutely vital that we call out uh, the truth of what's been going on. And that's why mandatory reporting is an important tool in the armory of measures that we're announcing today. Yesterday, when you spoke about your incoming list of reforms, uh, you said that, I think correctly, that British Pakistanis are disproportionately overrepresented in this kind of child abuse, with one Labour politician describing this commentary as dog whistle politics. What do you make of this? It's not racist to tell the truth about what, what has been going on here in Rochdale or in Rotherham or in Telford. Local reviews and reports have confirmed that the grooming gangs uh, scandal that has gone on here has been uh, perpetrated by largely British Pakistani men. Now, it's important not to demonise a whole community and the vast majority of British Pakistanis are uh, law-abiding and uh, straightforward people. But yeah, but that's kind of what she did, though, the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman. So is she right then? Are British Asians, British Pakistanis, more likely to be involved in the grooming of young girls? Are they overrepresented in the statistics? Well, Danny Shaw is a police, uh, excuse me, a policing and crime commentator. He's a journalist who specialises in police and in, in, in criminality, I suppose. And he was on GB News too, and he sees it slightly differently. Have a listen. Look, I think what this is about uh, is the government um, trying to create a bit of a sort of culture battle, if you like, over this issue. There was some Home Office research that was published in 2020, and it said, although that there, there was a particular issue in Rochdale, Rotherham and Telford, uh, where the perpetrators of the gangs were predominantly British Pakistani, in general, uh, you cannot say uh, across the country that uh, grooming is an issue uh, with one particular ethnic group. There are no links between ethnicity and this form of offending that could be proven. That is Home Office Commission research that was published in 2020. And I think it's very important to say that there are many perpetrators of this type of offence who are white and there are victims uh, who are not white, who may be black or Asian or from another ethnic group. I think that's very important to say that. I think what the government is doing is saying, look, you have to go after the perpetrators, whatever their ethnic background, and that is clearly right as well. Mm. You can't let political correctness get in the way. But I think what the government is doing and the way that they're sort of angling this 
uh, is really to try and draw some kind of cultural divide between them and the opposition and to make it a bit of an issue, if you like, for political reasons. That's what I think. I think he's right. Um, although I do think that having a focus on this issue is really important and bringing the police forces together with a new task force is probably something that's long overdue. Yeah, so we've had people on this programme in the past who have said, look, there is, among some young Pakistani men, there is a big issue. There is a cultural issue, there is a problem with how they see young white girls, particularly young white girls who might smoke, who might drink, who might play up a bit in their teens. But the Home Office research he, re- he referred to said that while this is an issue, um, it's not disproportionately worse amongst Pakistanis than it is amongst any other ethnic group. I don't know the answer. What do you think, dear listener? Let me know via the website richieallen.go.uk. We'll put these questions to Marilyn Hawes shortly. Very interesting, this. Yeah, no doubt the Conservative Party is using it as a political football. And you might begin to wonder, why has it taken so long? They've been in power 13 years now. Why are we hearing about Rotherham and Rochdale today? And, say it for me, political correctness being a factor in, 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 in allowing these things to happen, where police forces were reluctant to investigate and local authorities were reluctant. We've known this for many, many years. Sammy Woodhouse, Sarah Champion, the great Maggie Oliver. Why now, all of a sudden? We'll get into this with... um, Marilyn a bit later on last word on this is um, I see Tommy Five Names is trending that's Stephen Yaxley Lennon who calls himself Tommy Robinson and he's put out a little video he's banned from social media most of it anyway not something I support by the way his banning from social media, not at all. But he's put a video out, me, 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 me. I said this and I said that and I exposed this and and then I was sent to jail for it. Lies, of course, lies and damned lies. You know, he exposed absolutely nothing and he was sent to jail because he nearly collapsed the trial where actual groomers were being put on trial. You see, that's the fact, right? He's an odious little race-baiting grifter, is Tommy. Five names. But this is the age of be who you want to be. Say what you like about yourself if you're brazen enough and if you don't care about being called a liar. If you can balls it out, basically. Say whatever you want. And just, just don't, just, just be completely oblivious when proof is presented that you are not really who you say you are. And Robinson is brazen. You know, he's not a journalist and he did not expose or uncover grooming gangs. He did not. Have a listen to Sammy Woodhouse, courageous woman who did speak up many years ago and blew the lid off of this. She Here she is speaking to Newsnight, I think, on the BBC uh, two or three years ago uh, about the type of person that Tommy Robinson is. Really. A lot of people jumped on the bandwagon and just tried to use it for their own gain. And as well, you know, there's a lot of people taking credit for things that they haven't done. Now, you know, if we're going to be really honest, the people that have exposed scandals throughout the country is survivors contacting the media. And when you get people such as, you know, Britain's First or Tommy Robinson and and other people saying, well, actually, uh, we exposed Rotherham and we exposed other places. Well, no, you didn't. And I do think that they have highlighted the issue. Uh, They've, you know, raised awareness on it but they didn't expose it and it is disrespectful to take credit for what we've done. Yeah, and the highlighting she refers to is essentially grifting. It is essentially using that, exploiting what happened to those girls 
and to the people who helped bring that story into the public domain, exploiting that for your own personal gain. For fame, that's what Tommy Robinson is. We should never speak of him ever again. He is a detestable little grifter. It's 12 minutes past the hour. More on this with Marilyn, as I said, a little bit later on this hour. Hey, speaking of grifters, LBC Radio's James O'Brien couldn't wait to get to the microphone today to talk about how buses of school kids heading for France were delayed for hours and hours because of Brexit, apparently. Now, you must be following this story. It's received a lot of coverage since Friday, right, on the half term, on the Easter holidays. So you have school tours attempting to leave the country, buses, Dover, what have you, and very, very long delays. 10 hours, 12 hours, 14 hour delays. Dreadful stuff if you're caught up in it, right? But uh, Jimmy O'Brien on LBC couldn't resist the opportunity to blame it on Brexit. Here is the little twerp on his programme today. I know that there are thousands of you who regret your vote, but the reason why I'm most interested in talking to you today is because I want to know how you feel about the fact that you caused this problem. Now, if you voted to leave the European Union in 2016, on June the 23rd, I think, I could be wrong, you caused this problem. It's your fault the second year and third year and whatever it is, year 10, year 11, it's your fault those students didn't get to start their holiday on time. It's your fault. I I mean, you caused hundreds of other problems as well. You bastard. But rarely does it crystallise in glorious technicolour in quite such a clear and focused way. Crystallise in glorious technicolour in a clear and focused way. You know, the the, the, the claim that it's a price worth paying for all of the benefits that Jacob Rees-Mogg discovered during his tenure as Minister for Brexit Benefits, that might be an argument that you want to make. But I just, I, I mean, I, my dream caller. Your dream caller? For want of a better phrase, would be someone whose poor kid was stuck on a coach. How, how would you, as a Brexit voter, explain to your child why they had to sit on a coach in Dover for, for, for 30 or 40 hours this weekend? He's positively aroused, imagining that scenario. Somebody who voted for Brexit gets a phone call from their child who's stuck on a bus outside the ferry terminal and is there for hours. He's positively sexually aroused imagining that. You know, you deserve it. You deserve it because you voted for Brexit. You know, especially if you're an ardent Brexiteer. That was a popular phrase for a while, wasn't it? An ardent Brexiteer. We've taken back control. How the hell do you square that with the absolute absence of control? Because the United Kingdom hasn't left the European Union or anything like it. And it, 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 it behooves me <laughs> to point this out. If you genuinely wanted to leave a trading block and you genuinely wanted to leave it and you wanted to leave it for all of the reasons that Johnson and the lawyers gave back in 2015, right? Namely that we'll take back control of our borders. Liars, they had no intentions of ever taking back control of their borders. And we can sign new trade deals with countries around the world and we'll all be very rich and we'll all be fine and dandy outside the European Union. They never meant a word of it. That's the problem, of course. Anybody who meant it would have said after the result came in, right, we're done, we're finished, we are now completely self-governing this country, completely, 100%, and we will do our own trade deals when and where we like and how we like. And if you start making trouble for us, we will destroy you because you sell far more goods into the UK than the UK sells into Europe. That remains a fact, you see. See, these are, these are irrefutable facts. The UK has not properly, in any real sense, left the European Union at all. 
should do a program on this by the way because I know people who are very good at this stuff and will be able to give you the finer detail as to how the UK hasn't actually left the European Union. Anywho, so that was the uh, little twerp, James O'Brien. This made me laugh. Shortly after that, a guy phoned in to apologise for voting to leave. A very emotional guy called Tony is very upset with himself and blames himself for the kiddies being stuck on the buses outside the ferry terminals. Here's Tony. I mean, O'Brien must have been orgasmic listening to this. And um, I was I was wrong. Yeah, I, I, that's I, all right. I'm so sorry to everybody. I, I really am. I, He's really sorry. I bitterly, bitterly regret it. I, 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 I listen to people. Uh, uh, What's his name? Hannon. Yes. On, uh, I've, I've seen him on on the he, TV. He was everywhere. Don't, you don't seem to see him anymore now. No, funny that. But, Funny that. Uh, yeah, but at, the t- uh, but at the time, coming up to the uh, vote, yes, it was on TV <laughs> weekly or even more, even more. Yes, you know, what it what uh, what it was going to be like, how great it was, we were going to be once we were out and yeah. could decide things for ourselves. So, uh, no, I, I'm I'm not as clever as these people. I'm not as clever as you. I, I just you are. No, you are. You're certainly as clever as Daniel Hannan. I, I don't think... I, I, it worries me that you're beating yourself up like this, Tony, because, <laughs> as I keep saying, and that's why we're doing the conversation that we're doing today, it, it, it's a miracle to me that more people didn't vote the way you voted because of the sheer weight of influence and bogus information that was being inflicted upon you. On that... Upon you. On that, I'm in complete agreement with O'Brien. None of the promises made by those who pushed Brexit were were were, were, were realised. Or were honoured, were they? Yes. Uh, well, I, I, I wish. So blame we... him. Blame Hannan. Don't blame you. Don't blame yourself. Well, no, I just wish we could vote to go back in. I know we wouldn't <laughs> get the same deal that we had. We, we, we had a really good deal. Yes, that, that much is true. That much and, is true. Uh, but but I, I still think we would be better to go back in. But I don't. I don't expect we'll ever get that. So not in my lifetime, anyway. James? Well, fingers crossed, Tony. (laughs) Never say never, mate. Thank you for that. Thank you for your honesty. I'm sorry we can't talk for a little bit longer. He's so lovely, isn't he? Couldn't wait to get him off. 18 minutes past the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show, Monday's programme, the 3rd of April, 2023. Paul Craig Roberts joining me a little bit later on. Before that, Marilyn Halls from Freedom From Abuse. Don't want to miss her. Lots to talk about. Your comments, please, to richieallen.co.uk, where it says live comment, please. Looking forward to reading your comments. You're listening to the saviour of independent media, Richie Allen. Now, where was I going to go? I was going to play Simon Calder. He's um, travel correspondent for the Independent newspaper. Just for a kind of a final word on Dover. I'll go on then. As of the early hours of this morning, all the final border control queues were closed and effectively they are now saying at Dover that traffic is free flowing so that if by any chance there's a school coach on its way to Dover to sail to France you will um, uh, sail away quite happily of course once you have had those passport checks done Mm. what's changed since the olden days um, in terms of school excursions and bear in mind this is the first Easter for three years when we've actually had these ski trips and and other expeditions going on is that, of course, 
Brexit has happened and the passport checks, which used to be a very cursory few minutes for a coachload of uh, kids, now take about 20 minutes per vehicle. Every single passport has to be examined and it has to be stamped. Now, um, that's not the opinion of the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, or indeed the Dover MP, Natalie Elphick, who mm. writes in today's Express, this is nothing to do with Brexit. Well, I think a number of people who've been waiting all night, mm -hmm. a number of people who work in the ferry industry and at the port of Dover will say that's um, uh, possibly wishful thinking. Um, Brexit has changed and that has absolutely mm -hmm. transformed the landscape at Dover, which itself is very, very constrained. And if it is the case or was the case that the French on the other side are deliberately arsing around and prolonging you know, things, making it more difficult, kind of stretching it out, making something that should take five minutes, take 20, 25 minutes. Again, as childish as it sounds, as tit for tat as it might very well be, there are things you can do. You know, you can say, well, if that's the way it's going to be, then I suppose that never ends, does it? 20 and a half minutes past the hour. Just very briefly this, because... I was chatting with Hayden Hewitt about this. Hayden is, is, of course, a man who wears many hats. He's a filmmaker, a director and producer of very, very good films lately and good films to come as well. But he's also the man who co-founded the great Live Leak website, which is no longer with us anymore. And I was talking with him today about this news. You will know by now, of course, that some families whose children were killed at Sandy Hook in Connecticut, the school shooting all those years ago, sued Alex Jones for defamation and won. And it was a, a ridiculous settlement given. A billion dollars or something like that. It'll never be realised. But anyway, um, we've had something like that in the UK now for, for the first time ever. And that is people who were injured at the Manchester Arena bombing uh, back in 2017, wasn't it? I think it was 2017, yeah. 22 people died in May of 2017. Survivors are taking legal action against Richard D. Hall, who would be known to many listeners to this programme. He's been around many years making videos and his website and what have you. Um, Martin and Eve Hibbert, who were severely disabled in the bombing, are suing him, again, for defamation and harassment because he has pretty much admitted has Hall that one of the things he has done or he's gotten up to is he has kind of stalked some of these people and in particular this woman who's suing him um, to try and prove that she wasn't injured in uh, the bombing. He says he's received death threats as a result of all of this himself and um, he's being sued. And I, I'm, I'm not really going to get into it now because I don't have a lot of time. But it's something I want to explore on the programme. Because, how do I say it? What Hall has... What? No, I'll say nothing because I really want to get into this this week. And I know just the people to bring on to talk about it as well. It's where all of this leads, you know, when people get sued. Now, in his case, the harassment he's pretty much admitted to. Um, saying that something didn't happen. Now, taking somebody to court for that, that's obviously pretty dodgy and leads it to a very slippery slope, right? So I, I want to talk about that in the week, but with the right people. It's 23 minutes 
past the hour. Um, let's do this back with you in 60 seconds. It's uh, Monday's Richie Allen Show. To all the listeners who have become loyal customers of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last year, we would like to say a big thank you. Because of your continued support, we have been able to introduce our second product. This unique supplement is formulated specifically to reduce pain caused by joint inflammation. Our organic turmeric-based supplement contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract which massively increases its bioavailability and thereby reaching the inflamed area faster. If you are suffering from joint pain, go to NutraHealth365.com for specific details on how our joint health supplement can help give you relief. That's NutraHealth365.com with free tract delivery. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, the time is 24 and a half minutes past the hour. Good luck to Eamon Blaney, by the way, at Nutra Health. A really, really great guy and a big supporter of the independent media. So uh, do check him out. Uh, there if you can. Right, Paul Craig Roberts coming up a bit later on. Before that, Marilyn Hawes on Monday's programme. Here are the Hollies. I think I, I, in fact I did see something in the local press about the Hollies touring in the UK this year. I'm not sure which members of the Hollies are involved, but the Hollies are back gigging around the UK in 2023. That's no bad thing, is it? Long, cool woman, the Hollies on the Richie Allen Show. Faisal says to try and prove they weren't injured or to see if they were injured or not. Isn't that what a journalist's job should be? And isn't all journalism therefore stalking? Well, that's a gross generalisation, Faisal. Obviously, all journalism isn't stalking. And what Hall was getting up to was pretty grubby, to be honest. Uh, in my opinion, I must say that, in my opinion. Chris reckons Hall's piece about Joe Cox was good. You see, I could get into this for an hour and then just ignore my guests. Um, the, the the quick summary is Richard Hall is a grifter, is a guy who learned many years ago to use Google AdSense when YouTube was basically open season to tell people what they wanted to hear and to, to show people what they wanted to be shown. You know, people who believe that every single thing that happens is a false flag event and that everybody is a crisis actor. That's the short answer regarding Hall and people like him. But I'm not getting into it. Um, I saw some of his stuff as well and I gave up pretty quickly. Um, Chris says, I, I like the Joe Cox thing. But uh, then he began taking people onto his programme by beaming them up to a spaceship. I don't know how he did that. Um, clever graphics, maybe. Uh, Tanya Jane says, Simon Calder, how disingenuous. As far back as I can remember, it's always taken 20 minutes or plus to check a coach load of passports. But that's the point, Tanya Jane, that even that if, if, if we want to take James O'Brien's point, we don't really. But that's how it used... Sorry. In, in the years leading up to 2016, that process had been much quicker. They didn't come on board and check and stamp every passport. They didn't. And that's the point O'Brien is making. So, uh, no, um, as far as I understand it, they basically waved coaches through after getting a manifest from the driver. That's what I understand it to, to have been like. 
prior to 2016. Diane says, I think Brexit was a psyop, promise a return to independence, don't deliver it, and then beat the people over the head to deter other countries jumping ship from jumping ship. It was a psyop from the off. I'm sure many people in Ireland would like to leave, but then they look at Britain and they get frightened off. Craig says those kids must be confused. They keep getting told they are causing climate change, yet they get to travel to another country on a diesel-powered bus for a little excursion. That is a good point there. Very good. Uh, David says, I've yet to find any study of busted grooming gangs that examined for that were examined for any prevailing ethnicity and or cultural background within them. If there was that, and comparing the results with the general population, ethnic breakdown, it would throw, throw some evidence-based light on the vexing question of whether there is an actual racial bias within them. Sam says, uh, good afternoon it is. Uh, that's a weather comment. Thanks, Sam. Backbeat says, Richie makes a good point. We never have and never will be permitted to leave the EU as the people who actually do run things will not permit it. Shepherds don't like stray livestock. That's Backbeat. Thanks for your comment there. Right, let's get Marilyn on the programme. So this is very interesting. There are two aspect, aspects even to this, right? So the UK government is the, the UK government is saying, right, look, Grooming gangs have been ignored because of political correctness and that specialist officers will be sent into police forces to help them with their investigations and better ethnicity data will help to ensure abusers do not evade justice because of cultural sensitivities. And at the same time this is happening, the government is saying that it is going to be a criminal offence to not report signs of sexual abuse. Now, from what I can understand from listening to national radio today, there's not a lot new in that anyway, because of safeguarding regulations. As it stands, people who work with children are already under a legal obligation to say something if they feel that something is wrong. Let's welcome back to the programme uh, a former teacher, a woman who has personal experience um, herself, of course, her, her, her own children were groomed by their teacher. She is an advocate for the victims of child sexual abuse and she works tirelessly to educate children up and down the country on how to avoid being groomed. Let's welcome back Freedom From Abuse, Marilyn Hawes. Marilyn, welcome back. How are you? I'm fine, Richie. Thank you very much. And the sun is shining. Thank goodness, because it's a dark subject, isn't it? <laughs> it's a dark subject, but you're right. It's, um, it's, it's a glorious uh, spring day around, around the country. Let's start oh. off with this. Before we get into... Asian grooming gangs and all of that. I'm very interested in a change to the law. As far as I understood it, anybody who works with children, particularly in an educational capacity, is already duty-bound and legally bound to raise the alarm if they think something is wrong. Or have I gotten it wrong? You've got it wrong. Um, <laughs> it's a duty-bound, but it's not legal. So... On, I watched Laura Kunzberg on BBC Sunday yesterday morning and the mayor of West Yorkshire was talking and proudly saying that, you know, oh, we do this anyway. This is no different. What we have at the moment is statutory guidance. Statutory guidance is like a moral obligation for you to report. Well, it's not going to lose your job and it's not going to land you in a court. It, people interpret it as legal. It isn't. Mandatory reporting would be legal. If you don't lift up the carpet and see underneath it, if you see something crawling under it, then you're going to be culpable of keeping that to yourself. But that, people get very confused. 
they think statutory guidance is legal, it's not. And it, that's the weak that's the weak bit. So making it lawful then, it, it, enshrining this in law, isn't that going to spook teachers and other guardians of children into making reports or making claims just to cover themselves when actually something might not be happening and it that could destroy lives. It could result in a child being taken out uh, of their home and, and put into care. Well, it's, it's there's more to it to the build-up before we get to that point. I mean, is it better to keep your mouth shut for fear of being wrong and then by keeping your mouth shut you found out you were right? You know, the thing about here, as you see, is it, Rishi, Richie, not Rishi. It'd be nice fine, to have him it? here, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't have that, wouldn't yeah. have that for all the world. Get some answers. Um, they, <laughs> um, but the, the thing is, this is about education. If you're going to have mandatory reporting, which we absolutely need, because if you go back to the independent inquiry with Alexis J. Ixa, she summed it up beautifully and chillingly. She said at the end of it all, with all the various different organisations she's looked into for where it was all covered up, no one said anything, people willfully, now that is a very strong word, willfully means to, you were deliberate, willfully ignored reality. Willfully ignored reality. That's three powerful messages and the result was children were abused. Now, Tell me this, hang on, ma- hang on Marilyn, and just, just to remind you, because I, I know you go on national TV, they give you four minutes and you don't get a chance to get to the heart of it. We've got plenty of time, right? <laughs> You're used to being rushed off the air like everybody else, but not on this programme. Now, w- w- give us an example of where somebody knew or strongly suspected a child was in trouble, but willfully decided not to do it. Why would anybody do that? I have no idea. Because they don't want to get their hands dirty, because they don't want to get it wrong, which I understand. Um, They don't want to accept the reality of the situation of what they may have seen. And they also may not have understood what they've seen. And that's that's where it all falls over, because you have to be able... To identify, it is not rocket science. The training that we do has brought people to be referred and some people now in prison because it's so easy once you get it, once you understand what it feels like to watch it, 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 that gut reaction of this isn't right. And then you say, hang on, I've seen this on this training course. I can do a tick box on this because they do this, 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 this. It's like a blueprint. And you would have the confidence to report. People in the past have not and still don't have the confidence to understand what the grooming is with sexual intent. And it's like, how can I? Right, okay, here's, here's an example. Okay, so. I go in the lift, I work in, it's it's easy, I go in, I work in an office, say, and one guy says to me, oh, do you want to come to the pub for a drink tonight with everyone? And I get in the lift with him and off I go, I'm fine. Another guy can say it and it makes my skin crawl. And he could have said exactly the same thing. Your instinct that goes, "Uh uh-uh, that is your internal alarm. That is your, if you want to get posh, your solar plexus that sits in your gut. And that is the one that's going, uh-uh, something's not right. This is your second brain. That worries this me. Sense- Hang on, Marilyn, that worries me, profoundly worries me, that. Not not, not, not not you saying it, but because 
I I would like to think that there would be a better legal framework around what you know a teacher or a guardian should should notice what? rather than instinct. I mean, you don't convict do people on instinct, do you? No, of course you don't, but you have to learn the education. That's the point. The number right. of people, the number of people that tell me after a court case, do you know, I always felt it was weird. And it's knowing what that weird looks like, if you understand me. Yeah. It's not difficult. I, send, I could send documents out. I sat in prisons with people who have done this heinous crime. And I have like a checklist. And I said, I not since COVID, but before COVID, I would go in and they would see me on media or hear me on media. And I get a letter from the governor. Can you go and speak to so-and-so? So off I do. Because for me, that is what safeguarding is. That is understanding where the problem emanates from. Not putting a plaster on the top of it, but let's understand how you think, what it is you do. Let's check it out. And when I go in there, I just say, right, is, is this you? And they go, I to read it through. Yep, 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 yep. That's right. And you, like you, told, you, told me, you told me before that the, the convicted child abusers you've met, and you've met many, they were incredibly forthcoming. This is not in any way to give them any praise now, but they were incredibly open with you, weren't they, about how they did what they did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're not, they, like, they really like to talk about it. In 1980, um, uh, I, oh, I think of his name in a minute. I can't remember his name. It was a guy who was a probation officer, and he worked in Albany Prison on the Isle of Wight. Yeah, sadly, the guy has now died. And for the life of me, I can't. I'm having a senior moment. I can't remember his name. But he couldn't understand. So it goes back to 1980. He couldn't understand why there were a group of men that were in isolation. So he asked the governor if he could go and talk to them. Oh, and boy, did they open up. Yeah, yeah, we, you know, we, we sexually abuse children. He went, what? We sexually abuse children. And he went, good God, how, how does that work? And he discovered that was like 1980. And then off he went on a sabbatical for three months to Canada. And he came back armed with lots of information because they're so much more advanced over there. And he then was the person that opened up the first manager management offender system up near Birmingham, I think it was. Uh, and it became the Lucy Faithful Foundation. He started that. Uh, and looking into what creates, where does it come from, this person, where did he, how did, when did he decide they were going to be a child abuser, at what point? And um, I wish I could remember his name, it'll come to me probably at the end of the interview. Um, but that's when it started from, looking into the behaviours of these people. And I find the same thing. They don't care about it. You can't believe no. the things that... No, if you, if you could teach every teacher in the country what you know, and I know you've you've taught many a teacher and an educator what you know I still don't see how if it is revealed that a child has been abused I don't see how any prosecutor could get a conviction against a teacher namely namely saying well you should have seen that therefore we believe you did see it but you didn't bother to report it so you know we're, we're, we're going to prosecute you I just don't see that happening I can't imagine a case like that it, it, well, I can. Really? <laughs> I've seen a lot of it in schools. I mean, you do, you do get. I mean, I'm truly. When I've done training in some schools, and sometimes it's been big schools of a hundred people in the audience, and you, I've even done this with the police. You just, you just know certain behaviours, and certain behaviours don't feel right. They ask certain questions. So when you're in a school, you know that 
they don't observe rules. They don't have any respect for your maybe your safeguarding policy. So they will go over that boundary. So they might take a child home, which you shouldn't do, okay? Or they might stay in a classroom on their own every lunchtime with the same child, not telling anybody why they're doing it. They might be overly touchy-feely. They will have a select little posse of friends in that school Everybody thinks they're charming. I mean, it's very, they're very, very devious. And the way they work is like a snake trying to divide and rule. So they'll try and work some members of staff against others. So they create this tension in the school. I was there. I saw it happen in front of my eyes. And they do come out with the most extraordinary sexualized, language i mean it is bizarre trying to shock you if you like trying to humiliate you um but the you know very often they are well you look at jimmy savile you know oh look at me raise my money for charity they do lots of goodly works they might be on the pcc they might be you know they're never the people you think they are because they always look so respectable but when you see them around children maybe they're very keen on putting a child on their lap on jimmy savile then marilyn before before i ask you the question about savile you are listening to um marilyn hawes freedom-abuse.org that's freedom-abuse.org I know for a fact that a lot of children have not been abused and have not been groomed because they've encountered Marilyn's training and, and, and coaching in classes. So if you can support her, do support her, freedom-abuse.org. Look on Savile, right? A couple of things about the BBC. I was listening to um, BBC Radio 5 Live this morning. If this law becomes law, right, would, and if it was backdated 40 years, say, would Savile's bosses have been prosecuted for not for not doing anything about Savile? Because a number of people at the BBC in senior positions, or who had you know obviously retired, but but admitted, didn't they, that they knew there was something very wrong yes, with Jimmy Savile? So, been, yes, they defend themselves in court because it was completely wrong. There were lots of people who knew or guessed or thought it wasn't right. Um, but yeah, that was now. It's a senior management. So if I was now a head teacher of a school, and um, because even now you see people, I was at a school the other day where someone wasn't looking at the paperwork. Someone wasn't recording referrals correctly. Now that sort of thing could be sloppy. Yeah. Could be seen as sloppy, or it could be seen as deliberate. Now, if somebody made a referral to our guy who was called Jeff Carney, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have uh, recorded it, would he? He wouldn't have made a charge in the bin, or he wouldn't have heard it. Probably. He yeah. wouldn't have, you know, he would not have done anything with it. But you've got to be, the, the, you've got to have all your senses about you. You've got to be observant. And I think that's what we lack. You come bustling into school or into the hospital or whatever. And the person that doesn't want to keep the, the safeguarding policies, wherever you are, only work according to how good your human beings are. Now, if we look at Adambrook's hospitals, so let's look at the NHS now. Adambrook's hospitals, several years ago, there was a, a, a paediatrician called Miles Bradbury. Miles Bradbury was a consultant paediatrician uh, looking after terminally ill children, right? Now, the safeguarding policy clearly said all children must be chaperoned by a nurse, okay? Absolutely right. But he was a charmer. Everybody liked him. Everybody said he's great at his job. And he would make himself busy saying, oh, nurse, you know you're busy. We're short stuff. Don't worry about me. You just, it's fine. You just go and do what you want. I'm here. I'm fine. Now, are you really, as a junior nurse, 
going to look up to the consultant pediatrician and say, no, sir, I'm staying here. Because these people have an assumed authority. You know that sort of authority where, hmm, I wouldn't really want to cross them. Right. You know, so they like, they suddenly pump themselves up to be this authoritative person. And so those nurses did not adhere to the safeguarding policy. And very difficult to go against someone who might behave like that. But neither would he let the parents in because he would say, or the parents might say, well, there's somebody, you know, the, the, the nurses have gone, can I come? No, 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 no. That would disturb your child. I need to have you know, totally be with your child. And of course, again, are you really, I mean, I would now, I would say, well, then you're not looking at my child. I'm sorry, I'm going to be there. But he had, um, yes, he was touching them and filming them with a camera on his in his pen, wow. right? So all very, very devious and subtle, and that's how they work. I Monster. mean, once you've seen it, once you've, got, once you've watched me groom a four-foot teddy bear, you will be left in no doubt. We have had people come up to us. I've had one, two social workers that I was training some social workers down in Kent that actually said to me, we have to go, not because we don't like what we're hearing, but we've now identified what a particular father is doing. And they left. But I have got chapter and verse of people where someone has suddenly been identified after the training and and it's been dealt with or I've had a phone call um, and yeah, we've, we've, with our training, succeeded to put people inside. It's not rocket science, but to avoid it and not learn, it's all about education. Nelson Mandela said the only weapon we have to change the world is education. And that is the same. It, well, it's tragic. It's tragic. It's a tragic thing. I mean, it must be a terrible thing to be, you know, you're going into a school to do something because there is a huge problem in, in wider society. And you know that it's a heartbreaking thing to be talking to children about these dangers. And we've, we've gotten into that before. But let me bring it back to a couple of specific points. Right. So when I, I, I went to a primary school in the in, in 79 and I was in primary school from 79 till 86, I, I believe, there or thereabouts. Now, I've mentioned this on the programme before. I'm quite comfortable talking about this. I was physically abused at home. Not sexually abused, but physically abused about as bad as it gets, really. And that's what the, you know, the, the, the expert said about my particular case. Now, I, I confronted a primary school teacher when I got my break in radio. Many years later, I confronted the teacher and had a right go at a particular teacher for not doing anything about it, right? And I had my say, and this is cathartic, of course, and it was great. But to this day, I would not see, or I would not want to see those teachers go to court. I certainly wouldn't want those teachers to go to jail. That's my first point, right? Because, no, maybe I'll leave the because for a minute. Second point is, you have dedicated your life to protecting children, and it is an amazing thing that you do. You care about children. This government doesn't give a damn about children. So I, I propose to you, I propose to you that what might be at play here is, is this government is giving access to, uh, uh, giving access to children by making laws like this, but giving access to who? To abusers? Maybe. But more like giving access to care homes and the private companies that run the, 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 the adoption industry in this country, which Christopher Booker used to come on and others used to come on and talk about over the years on this programme. That's, that, 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 that's another angle to it. 
You know, there are lots of reasons people want children. And children are a cash cow for the adoption industry. And oh, I'm, just, I'm, just putting, I'm just putting that out there as maybe a motivating, motivating factor for this government because, Marilyn, I'm going to shut up now. You love children and you want to make sure they don't have to go through what your children went through. But this yeah. government doesn't love children. Oh, no, they don't. Absolutely don't. None, none, none have. I mean, if we're looking at the county line gangs, if we're looking at the gangs, so Rishi Sumat's marching around today going on that, we will crack down on this, we're going to have a task force. He's not putting any more money into it, um, and we're going to do this. It's not going to solve anything. I mean, is he going to build more prisons? If he's going to do this, uh, he's going to have to build more prisons. Does that, so does that mean people on in prison will be let out earlier? So we've got that aspect. It's also, he goes on about Pakistani. Now, Yes, there are a lot of Pakistani people in the gangs, but there's also a heck of a lot of Albanians. There's a lot of Bangladeshis, and there's also white people as well. But yes, principally, it is Asian gangs. But what the problem is as well, when I try to get figures out of government and home office, it's very clever how they have never made a record of the ethnicity of anybody that's been convicted so you see the mugshots on the papers and you make your own analysis but we also know because we look at different court cases but i just think you know <laughs> suella braverman putting her neck above the parapet yesterday and saying all pakistani males well it isn't just pakistani males and anyway this whole thing about child sexual abuse which sexual exploitation is except your red rates probably by 40 men instead of your uncle or your teacher. But there is no colour, there is no culture, there is no religion. It's sexually abuse of a child is indiscriminate. No, hang on, and hang on, yes. He's getting a confused. He's going down the, the gang route, but then it's getting muddled with mandatory reporting. So which one, it's yeah. a two-pronged attack, which one is he actually going for? Because he keeps going on, we will sort these gangs out. But, you know, it's, it, and it's become a political football, which it shouldn't. Because you've got Yvette Cooper now, vis-a-vis Rishi Sunak, what we did. What, the, the Labour didn't do it either. No. So you think it's a fair accusation against the government that they're basically dog-whistling here by emphasising the Asian gangs? Or not? Well, I, well, yeah, I don't think that it's, yes, it is. I think some of it, and this is where your education thing comes in again, because you have to educate certain cultures. Now, when I was teaching, um, we had quite a lot of African children in our school, right? And I'm, I, I've heard from other people because I helped at a university with um, training uh, different uh, children's nurses that are training to be practitioners. And some of them are from Africa. And I talked to them about what goes on in their country. It's still quite the thing in Africa to physically beat your child. They believe it beats the devil out of them, right? So you've got to educate those people to say, well, actually, it is physical abuse. And if anything, you're, you think you're driving the devil out, but you're actually driving the devil in because you're going to get a traumatized child. You've got to you've got to look at the Asian culture and what goes on there. And if he wants, if Rishi Sunak thinks that people are going to speak about these Asian gangs and everything, the wives, Muslim wives, will well. I don't know how you're going to get them to talk because we do a lot. I do a lot in Muslim schools and the Muslim parents and mothers. Well, they're not going to tell you if they're, even the children 
were, are very reticent about saying if they've been sexually abused or if they've been abused. And the thing is, we don't talk about it. And I'm talking about a generation of youngsters who are now 17, 16 years old. We don't talk about it. And then, of course, if you do, we have this added on crime with this particular culture of HPV, honor-based violence. Yeah. You start sitting on your great uncle and daddy and brother you're going to go. You're going to be taken off to Pakistan or India or or wherever Albania, and you're going to be goodbye. You're going to go out in a wooden box. And I don't think this is. It's all very well, you know, doing this sort of like vote catching thing. Something's got to happen, most definitely. But you've got to understand the culture underneath this stuff. Do you know what I mean? And you you can't just say that if people don't come forward, they're going to be, you know, mandatorily reporting, blah, blah, blah. The poor women who live with these people or in the family and know what their Asian men are doing, where does that leave them? You're listening to Marilyn Hawes, Freedom from Abuse, freedom-abuse.org. We've got about five minutes left on this. I've had had Asian uh, guests on the programme before who've said to me, we... We do believe, Richie, that there is, in some communities, amongst some young Pakistani men, there is a problem. There is a problem with how they see white girls. And this is an issue. Now, what I can't get to the bottom of, because we we saw this in Rochdale, we saw this in Rotherham and in Telford. But I've heard guys on the radio today, I, I think honest guys, right? And they've said, well, outside of Rotherham, Telford and Rochdale, it's not been as prevalent in other parts of the country, like Bradford and places oh, like this. absolute rubbish. Sorry, is is it rubbish, right? Rubbish. With with young Asian men, right? Rubbish. It's been. It's that's nonsense. It's in every single city. It's and and this is the problem. I don't know that Richie's. This has been around for twenty five years, and no one's done damn all about it, right? For fear of for it, fear of racism, accusations, and what have you. They they no no government has ever done anything about it. It's just turned a blind eye to it. It's been around for, for at least twenty years, right? And no one's done a thing about it. It's like, oh these naughty girls, blah blah blah, and that's how it always was. No yeah. one's done anything about it. It is now embedded across the UK. I do not know how he's going to disrupt these gangs. It's a business model with them. You've got four different types of county line gangs. I don't know how He's going to disrupt it. What is the actual plan? All right, you're going to bring in the heavy mob. You're not going to really sort it because you're not looking at the root cause and the root problem and understanding the culture and how we can, you know, do better with it. I mean, I know a girl, she actually works works one of our volunteers. She's Pakistani and she was at university and their two lads went back a couple of years ago. They were 23 years old. They'd been at university. They were going to go back to Pakistan where they wanted women to do as they were told and so they could do also what they wanted. Right, fine. You're talking about this generation. You're going to actually deal with this and sort it. It will take the next 20 years. And he's got to have the spine. It's everywhere. It's been in Telford, Newcastle. It's been in Southampton. It's been down in, it's everywhere, even down in the southwest. And it's the elephant in the room. But the the thing I am pleased to hear him say, that finally victims will be heard. Because no one, the voice of the victim just gets washed away because we are perpetrator focused in this country. Oh, must be politically kind, human rights and all that. If you raise a child, for me, you've lost your human rights, mate. End of. End of story. I I, I just, we're so mandy-pandy and woke. Oh, we mustn't say this. Yes, we must. 
yes, we must draw a line under it. And, you know, it would be very different if someone, half the government's white kids were actually raped by these people. It would be different. But yeah. they're trying to put plaster on the top. They're giving the NSPCC £600,000 for a whistleblowing to help them. Interestingly enough, NSPCC seven years ago, and I found it in the Guardian newspaper today, because I'm not a great fan of theirs, um, and seven years ago, they were not thinking Matthew reporting was a bad idea. Now, they're all for it. They've got £600,000 from the government for the whistleblowing line. Have they really changed? Seven years, it's the same CEO. I'd love to find out, I'd love to find out, and if I had a team of producers and researchers, I'd find out, but I don't, it's just myself, Um, and you know that, um, you know that station yourself, doing it all yourself, but I'd love to find out if the big adoption agencies and Bernardo's, if they've got, you know, a dog in this fight, for want of a better way of putting it, because it wouldn't surprise me. Because ultimately, this type of look, and look, I'm I'm taking on board everything you said. I I, you've convinced me, to, you've you've given me you've given me an understanding of mandatory reporting and why it should be enshrined in law. You've given me a lot to think about, but ultimately, people will make money out of it. The, the the Tories don't give a damn about kids. Let me just read you a few comments. Colin is getting a bit upset because I I don't say Muslim. Why would I say Muslim? Asian? What what the religion doesn't. It's not- Religion has nothing to do with it. Um, I mean, I know lots of lovely Muslim people that are utterly lovely. I, my daughter worked in Dubai for seven years. It's not to do that. It's not to do with the religion, and this abuse is hidden behind that religion. It's religious abuse. It's to do with humankind raping young girls, and it's it's it, no point saying Muslim. It's nothing to do with the Muslim faith. It's to do with the human being. It's a cultural thing with some Pakistani men. So, so do, do you... a cult, but, but the culture of silence also, Richie. Of course. Well, listen, well, well, going back to my own personal story, that was the response I received from a teacher. The response mm. was what goes on behind closed doors and all of that. That, that, that was it. You know, you, you, you mind your own business. I remember not long after I got my first radio gig, I did a phone-in about domestic abuse. So we had women phoning in, talking about their personal experiences. And later that afternoon, I went back to my childhood home and spoke with my mother. And she said something which chilled me. She said, oh, do you remember? And I can't mention the name now because it, it, people will know. But she said, do you remember Mrs. So-and-so? And I said, no. And she said, yeah, her husband absolutely battered her. She broken bones, everything. And I said, what did you do about it? As, as somebody next door but one, you know? And the answer was, um, nothing. What goes on behind closed doors? And I thought, Jesus well, that was, Christ. That was the attitude then, yeah. Richie. I mean, my mum, when I was a little girl, somebody actually got divorced around our road and my mother crossed the road because we didn't want to have to breathe the oxygen that someone who's divorced you know, I was brought up a Catholic, and I'm not, not a Catholic now. But, I mean, that that was then. We always had ultimate respect for the GP, the vicar, and all yeah. the rest of it, didn't we? I'm yeah. sorry. No, I respect human beings until they show no respect. And then, I'm sorry, that's it. Off you go. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't... But there's nothing to do with Muslims. It is nothing to do with Muslims. It's to do with the wickedness and the brokenness of the human being and the Asian culture. And it's not just Pakistanis. It is also 
Albanians, I think, are actually worse. I saw in the paper only the other day, which I've been saying for ages on Talk TV, that they will stop coming in on the small boats. They will start coming in on the lorries again because the lorries drive up the country and they're lost into their communities. And they are now, they are now gangs in this country, Albanian gangs in this country, are now paying £20,000 to get another Albanian across on the lorries to join their gang. Don't ever underwrite the vileness and the criminality. Let me let me the put the let me put them. the let me put the other side of that to you. And don't interrupt me for a minute. And then you, you'll have plenty of time to answer this. Let me put the other side of that. Right. The other side of that is is that people who say what you have just said are creating a moral panic. Yes, there is a problem, and it's mostly an economic problem when you let lots of young men come into the country for economic reasons when services are in dire straits in this country already but there's only going to be a tiny tiny fraction of these lads that are going to commit offences against girls I'm not saying this this is what others are saying in the news today that this is a moral panic in Ireland as much as here with Albanian men the big boogeymen running around raping the women that, that this is not a reality what, what say you to that? One is too many sorry and how do you know one is too many I just, I just have got no, you know, oh, it doesn't matter. It's only two or three. Yes, it does matter. It matters hugely. If it was only 1% of the kids in this country, that's far too many. How many children have we got in this country? We've got something like, I can't remember what it is, one, oh, is it 12 million children in this country minimum and growing. And I, I mean, I, I am not racist. I just can't bear the thought of children being, any children being yeah. harmed, whether you're paint with green dots, because of the harm, the damage, the heartache it causes in their lives, all they ask for is to be looked after. And the only people that look after them, really, is adults. And if adults aren't going to be on their guard, looking after them, we are not guarding children or, you know, or, or, or looking after their safety because so many people, as I say, is the elephant in the room. They don't want to think about that it could be happening. And yet, and yet, any day soon, We'll be seeing every parent wanting their year six child to do their proficiency cycle test. Oh, because they might get harmed on the road. You wouldn't push your child in the River Thames and hope they could swim. You want them to have like six weeks of swimming lessons. But you can't get parents to step up and understand the people around your child who is safe, who isn't. And I don't understand why the other day I had a school of 500 children. So we do the children all day. We teach the, 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 to teachers on trauma after school. And then we do an online thing for parents. 500 children, five parents turn up. That's a lot. Sometimes we've only had one. It's not requiring the parent to go outside the house. You can just sit there in your onesie. You don't even have to put your camera on. And just listen how you push this child out into this world. You are responsible to look after it as best you can. I mean, I did. I thought I'd done it. I didn't know about all this stuff when I was having my kids. I thought it was yeah. all about the funny man in the park. Yeah. You know, with his dirty with the trench coat, I have yeah. Never, yeah. Met, never met anyone like that in prison. They have been articulate. They're willing to talk. They're well educated. A lot of them have been uh, white collar workers, excellent manners, and very happy to describe what they do. And Marilyn, we might we might we might pick this up again. This particular thing about who 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 does this stuff? Because when we got into this, I think two or three shows ago, it was of great interest to our listeners, many of whom are parents. So next time you come on, we won't bring you on because there's a story. We'll talk about who 
you know, what to look out for, basically, because um, um, that's yeah, very important. It, it, yeah, let's do that. It's essential. It's essential, Richie. Online, offline, it is essential. Yeah. You know, you are far. People go on about the online stuff, the predators online. It's absolutely dreadful, and and this mandatory reporting will also be part of that as well. Um, but if you well, well, let's, let's, let's get into it because we're, we're just out of time now and I've got another guest standing by right to talk about something else oh I'm sorry no no don't be sorry. sorry no no freedom-abuse.org Marilyn Hawes is the reason a huge reason why a lot of children in this country are safe today because of because of the educational classes she puts on freedom from abuse former teacher and she had to deal with the reality that her own children were groomed this is how she got into it freedom-abuse.org Richie, we, we don't get the 600,000 no, pounds I know you don't, I know you don't. Got for whistleblowing. We don't get anything. No. We don't get anything. Well, this and we're is why I, on the front line this, every day. This is why I say to people, if you can support Thank Marilyn, you. do support her. Thanks. Th- thanks for coming on today. I know you've done a lot of media thanks today. I really appreciate you. it. Thanks for it. Thanks you too. Bye-bye-bye. Thanks. Happy Easter, Marilyn. Yeah, happy Easter is right. We'll get Marilyn back on soon to talk about recognising the signs in people. It's such a rotten thing to be talking about, isn't it? You know, and I can understand why some parents don't want to, to even contemplate. It sounds so counterintuitive. It sounds so ridiculous. It sounds foolish, really. Why wouldn't you if you have a child who is going to the girl guys or is going to the scouts or is going to play hurling or Gaelic football or soccer? Why wouldn't you want the child to know that there are dangers out there? But the answer to that is, is because childhood is supposed to be a beautiful experience, isn't it? Yours wasn't, Richie. No, it, it was in many ways, funnily enough. You know, when I wasn't at home, but but um, it's just a rotten thing. But yet I'm convinced that organisations like Freedom From Abuse are, are vital. That's, that's how, that's the reality of it, isn't it? It's eight minutes past the hour. I want to give a big shout out to Mark Boyerski, who's a great friend of mine. A great, great guy, a great friend of mine, as you know. Mark is, the, the, I, I don't want to describe Mark. Um, he is a healer, he's a spiritualist, he is a, a researcher, he, he's on a, his own personal journey when it comes to understanding who we are and where we're going and where we came from. And um, over the weekend, unbeknownst to me, he on, on his YouTube channel, which you'll find at youtube.com, Mark Boyerski on YouTube, um, he did some fundraising for this programme, which, which greatly needs it, because these are very difficult times for people. And when people are struggling to put food on the table and pay their gas and electric bills, obviously the Richie Allen Show is not as much of a priority as it once was, and I totally understand that. You never hear me complain about it, and I never will. So he did some fundraising for the programme over the weekend, and I want to thank him for that, because it's beyond generous and not unexpected, but I didn't expect it uh, over the weekend. So thanks, Mark. Do say thank you to him on, on our behalf on social media and on the YouTube channel, Mark Bayerski at youtube.com. So big shout out to Mark. Thank you, Mark. Uh, wonderful. Dr. Paul Craig Roberts will be standing by. So much to talk with Paul about today. It's Monday's programme, April 3rd, 
2023, that's the one. I'll be back with you in a few seconds time. To all the listeners who have become loyal customers of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last year, we would like to say a big thank you. Because of your continued support, we have been able to introduce our second product. This unique supplement is formulated specifically to reduce pain caused by joint inflammation. Our organic turmeric-based supplement contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract which massively increases its bioavailability and thereby reaching the inflamed area faster. If you are suffering from joint pain, go to NutraHealth365.com for specific details on how our joint health supplement can help give you relief. That's NutraHealth365.com with free tracked delivery. And it's exactly 10 minutes past the hour. Let's take a tune and let's get Paul Craig Roberts on The Richie Allen Show. Uh, and again, big thanks, big shout out to Mark Boyersky. Go to markboyersky.com, the website, if, if you, the unlikely possibility that you haven't heard of Mark, get on there and check him out. Great guy. You'll pick up an awful lot. You'll learn quite a bit. Here are the clash then. And uh, Paul has just waved at me, has Paul Craig Roberts. That's lovely. We'll chat with him on the other side of this. Music from The Clash, that is Rudy Can't Fail, that's right, 13 minutes past the hour. It's Monday's programme, our guest this hour, he doesn't need any introduction for me. He's a brilliant author, journalist, economist, and a former, of course, US Assistant Secretary of the Treasury. He had a very lofty position in the Reagan administration, and he's very, very good uh, to come on with us and give us some of his time. Welcome back, Paul Craig Roberts. Hi, Paul. Hello, Richie. Thank you. It's great to have you back. Folks, go to paulcraigroberts.org to read Paul's articles. Support him there as well. So tomorrow, Finland, I might owe you a bit of an apology, by the way. Finland becomes a member of NATO tomorrow. It's worth noting, isn't it, Paul, that the Finnish people have little or no say in this whatsoever. I read in the New York Times, funnily enough, earlier, um, or sorry, late last week, that the, there's a consensus amongst Finns that they should join. I don't believe that. They, they, it's very easy to manipulate uh, newspaper polling and, and, and whatnot. Um, if I was living in Finland, the last thing in the world I would want to do was um, to bait um, Russia. The countries have a bit of previous. But you saw this coming, didn't you, Paul? You said this was going to happen and Finland wouldn't be the only country joining NATO. Uh, yes, it was obvious what was going to happen. Um and it's a shame that uh, Western governments uh, no longer adhere uh, to the wishes of the people. They simply behave uh, independently of the people, even though it's supposed to be a democracy. We see it all over the place, don't we, Richie? We, we saw, yeah. for example, the French president, Macron. Uh, he took it upon himself to issue an edict that there would be this reform of the pensions. They call it a reform. What they're really doing is uh, delaying uh, the payments. Well, this was a, a process that the parliament was busy with. It's uh, a legislative function. It's not an executive function. But we see all of these European and American and Canadian and Australian leaders taking on the role of a dictator. 
They make decisions that are supposed to be made by parliaments and law. Instead, they're made by an announcement. And this is increasingly the character of Western government. There was a wonderful series of films made by the BBC some years ago. I know you watched them. They were called The Power of Nightmares. They were made by Adam Cortis. And he made a, a beautiful but very simple point in the film, poll, which really struck me as being very obvious, but yet not something we ever really considered, or at least I didn't. And that is, when politicians come and knock at your front door, as they do um, when, when they want to be elected, they promise um, lovely fluffy things, you know, we'll clean up the streets and we'll get some nice, we'll, we'll, we'll get a new swimming pool in the area, we'll, we'll, we'll get the park, the People's Park looking really well, we'll get more jobs in too, that's what they do, lovely promises. Then they get elected and the first thing they do is they start a war or they start selling weapons to some crazy dictator that, you know, they want to brutally murder another crazy dictator. All of this sorts of stuff. This is the stuff that goes on, right, in our world. Vote for us, we'll make your life better. You vote for them and they start doing tyrannical things. Did, did, did you punch the air when you saw the reaction from the French people, particularly around Paris, to the, as you beautifully put, the, the absolutely undemocratic behaviour Macron raising the pension age, the French coming out like that, does that give you a bit of hope, Paul, that the, the time is coming when the people are going to say, around the world, enough is enough now? Well, I don't know. You know, the French people are the ones that do protest, that do take to the street. On the other hand, governments don't care what the people think. So what that does, it, it takes away the power of peaceful protests. You know, years ago, when governments cared what people thought, protests of the magnitude of the ones in France would have changed the policy. But today, they just ignore the protests, and they go on about the business despite the protests. So I think peaceful protests have lost their effectiveness, which means that the people are either going to have to submit to increasing dictatorship, or they're going to have to have non-peaceful protests. That is, they're going to have to have a revolution. So the choice today, I think, is are the people going to submit or are they going to overthrow the governments? Yeah. And um, I'm not confident that Western people have enough commitment to the values so long associated with the West to go out and defend them with violence. I'm just not confident. You said to me years ago, Paul, it was you who said this. You said that you might get a revolution when middle-class people find they have nothing. And when they have nothing, they'll have nothing left to lose. I'll never forget that. You said to me that, you know, the middle-income earners, they've always got by, they've made their mortgage payments, they've gone on holidays two or three times a year, they've paid for their children's education, they've had it comfortable. But, you know, bright people. But if they lose everything, if everything is taken from them, there might be a revolution. Do you still think that? 
Well, I think it's possible, but what's happened in these years since I said that is the middle class is shrinking. It's a slow process of destruction of the middle class. It's not happening all at once such that great numbers of them would be effective at, at the same time and possibly rebel. <clears throat> it's happening piecemeal. It shrinks, it shrinks, it shrinks. Um, and it's a slow process. So I think it, it may be a situation where the middle class simply is dispensed with before it can have any reaction. That seems to be what's, uh, what's happening. In you other words, it's not an all-out, all-at-once assault that wakes them all up. They see a, a few more fall by the wayside, a few more fall, but they, it's not happening to them, and so things go on. You wrote on paulcraigroberts.org today. I recommend it, folks. Get onto Paul's website. Lots of articles, daily articles, very well-written, very well-researched articles. Um, you're talking about the death of free speech, but you, you mentioned something. I've not got the page open in front of me. That... Um, your country is is more Nazi in terms of what's happening in your country than the Third Reich. Do you really feel that strongly about what it's like to live in the United States at the moment? Uh, yes, I think we we are pretty thoroughly uh, Nazified, and it's dangerous because the people don't realize it. Uh, but of course, the Germans didn't either. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we have now a situation where law schools and law associations, for example, uh, and their products who end up as judges and prosecutors, uh, no longer perceive of law as serving justice, as finding innocence or guilt. They, they're all committed to law as a way to achieve uh, social transformation, to transform uh, society. And so, it in effect becomes a weapon against anyone in the way of a social revolution conducted from above. And that, I think, is the kind of revolution we're having. It's not one from below by the people who have fed up. It's happening from above. And law and education are both used, and the media, of course, are used to restructure society in some sort of woke left-wing uh, way that uh, achieves their various aims, one of which is uh, uh, the elevation of um, of people of color, the elevation of people traditionally regarded as sexual perverts, uh, the grooming, the sexual grooming of children, 
in the United States today, education is being used to to uh, create uh, sexual activity among children. And some people claim uh, this is uh, they're preparing preparing them for legalizing pedophilia. And these are the things that are happening. You can see all kinds of of, uh, announcements by law schools, by law associations, uh, that they're committed to the restructuring of society. Well, that's not committed to the enforcement of existing law or anything of the sort. And we're seeing the same thing in medical schools. Medical schools now say they're committed uh, to producing more and more and more uh, doctors of um, for, uh, uh, people of color. Well, you should be committed to producing, you know, good medical training. Yeah. But no, there's, it's to produce uh, more doctors of certain races. Well, these kinds of of transformations are revolutionary. It sidelines uh, whites. You know, the medical school is going to promote turning uh, people of color into doctors. Well, this sidelines white people. Um, These kinds of activities, people are not catching on to very rapidly. Uh, Parents uh, learned that well, how education is being used because of the uh, COVID lockdowns and the online uh, schooling. And they started witnessing what the kids were being taught. And so they have since showed up at uh, school boards. They, they're protesting uh, all of this uh, brainwashing of the white kids, that they're all racist, that parents are racist, that it's uh, the white kids' fault that the black's not advanced. Uh, they're protesting all the transgenderism. The kids are being taught that uh, they can, that they're not really a boy, they're a girl, or they're not really a girl, they're a boy. And uh, all of this is happening under the pretext of education. Well, Parents who've caught on have gone to these school board meetings, but they get shouted down. The police remove them. Yeah, I've seen evidence of this. I've seen videos where yeah, people have been kicked so out. Yeah, they, the the control over their kids is taken away from them. So I I think it's uh, I don't see how you get out of this because they're the only if leader against it is Donald Trump. He's it. Nobody else. Ron, Ron DeSantis might say, well, hang on a second, Paul. I'm equally as committed to anti-wokeness as Trump, but I hear you. And I, and I do want yeah. to get your thoughts on Trump in a moment. But just to back you up, I, as you were speaking, you, you triggered, there's a term, Paul, you triggered something in my mind. Um, the Telegraph, very interesting piece in today's UK Telegraph, written by Craig Simpson. Really interesting, actually. White actors' share of Hollywood roles has fallen because of a drive for diversity in cinema, according to research. Black Lives Matter protests in 2020 prompted calls for greater representation in the film industry, and the Academy has set inclusion goals to avoid accusations 
that Oscar nominations are too white. And what they've done here, this research, is they've looked at films that have come out in the last couple of years and white male leads are on the decline, (laughs) strangely enough, and they're putting it down to the Black Lives Matter movement. In fact, I think Brian Cranston, who was in Breaking Bad, an an amazing uh, television drama series, which you might have seen, Paul, he even wrote last year that he'd be quite happy to give up a role that he had earned through an audition to a black actor. This stuff is crazy, isn't it? Uh, yes. Um, In a word. It, it's not just that uh, whites are disappearing from movies. Uh, they're disappearing from TV. They're disappearing from all commercial advertising. In the United States, you seldom see adverts anymore that have a white family. It's either a black man with a white woman, or it's a white man with a Hispanic or Asian woman. The kids are all mixed race. Uh, White families have essentially disappeared from corporate advertising, whether whether it's print or TV or or whatever. Um, The... You would think that the United States is not really a white country where well, we have 60 to 70 percent of the people white, but they they are being disappeared. And it's not just the film actors that are are disappearing, uh, white ones disappearing. They're now going to have a snow white, but snow white is going to be black. So are they going to call us snow black? That's that's really. I, I've got to be the devil's advocate here. I yeah. can do I can do this because we've known each other for years, and it's the right thing to do anyway. What about I I I interviewed a black gentleman a couple of years back, um, uh, a, a Republican voter. I'll, his name will come to me in a moment. He's got a radio show. Good guy, and talks a lot of common sense. But he said on the television stuff, on the movie stuff, he said Richie. When I was growing up, he said, in the late 60s and 70s, black people were portrayed very negatively on TV. Like if you were watching a cops and robbers show, Starsky and Hutch, Kojak, it was always the black guy that was the the criminal. And he said, I never really saw myself up there, you know, positively portrayed. So was there a little bit of truth in that, that for years the representation of minorities wasn't um, it wasn't just absent, but it was very negative. Is there any? No, I think that's a complete lie. That's yeah. a total propaganda lie. The you know black entertainers were highly popular. Um, black athletes highly popular. You go to a basketball game, whether it's a college or a professional, they're they're almost all black. Yeah. Um, the the um, the the whole notion that look uh, one of the one of the uh, long running tv schedules was a uh, t man but treasury men treasury men they were always after uh, the white gangsters after john dillinger and al capone and all the gangsters were white in in all of the detective novels the crooks are all white you know it's you know it, it's it, you never had a Western uh, movie with a black uh, outlaw. They're all white. Um, the whole thing that they weren't, uh, that they were portrayed negatively, that's just made up. And 
it's, it's part of the propaganda that people have been brainwashed into. You know, uh, the, the black baseball stars, Jackie Robinson, way back in the 40s, highly popular. Uh, if, if he endorsed a bat, all the kids bought the Jackie Robinson bat. And I think it was a glove that he endorsed. We all bought his glove. This stuff is nonsense. It's just not true. Look at, uh, look at Hamilton, the seven-time world champion race driver. He's black. He's British. Uh, massive white crowds cheering him at the races. Uh, nobody says boo. He's yeah. It's it, this is not it's not true. It's just made up. I want to talk about Trump. Um, I I can't argue with ninety nine percent of what you said there, but I think there might be a little bit of middle ground on that issue, because I do look. First of all, the gangsters they were white, weren't they? They were white Italians mostly. And and white Jewish gangsters in in the early part of the twentieth uh, century in the United States, but it I, I've done a little bit of research into this, and my sympathies are with you. We see things mostly similarly on these on these topics, but I did some research into the cop shows, and generally they were hiring black actors to play the criminals, and I could understand a black person in the nineteen eighties being annoyed by that. That's all I'm saying on that. And I want to talk about Trump. I want to mention paulcraigroberts.org, brilliant website, links to Paul's books on there as well. This is huge, this culture wars, the, the woke wars. It's massive. And it's hugely successful, Paul, before we talk about Trump, in dividing people, isn't it? And surely that's the whole point of it, to divide people. So while we're wrapped up in identity politics, which I'm not saying you are now, but, but most of society seems to be, the tyrants go along with their... World Economic Forum, Great Reset, and we're too busy fighting each other over identity to notice it. That's a fair point too, right? Yeah, sure. I've stressed that for a long time. A million times. You've said it many times. Let's talk about Donald J. Trump, because as we speak, uh, Paul, he is flying into New York from Florida, where he will be indicted later. um, uh, Tomorrow, in fact, he'll be indicted over allegations that he paid hush money to a former porn star, everybody knows her name now, Stormy Daniels. So that's the black and white in the newspapers. This is what it's about. Trump is accused of paying hush money, which is unbecoming of any uh, politician, any president. But, of course, that's not the whole story. What does Paul Craig Roberts think is really going on here? What's this really about? Well, let me first correct correct you, um, Richie. Uh, he's not indicted for paying hush money to um, a stripper who made some charge. That's not the. That's what the press says the indictment is, but that is not what the indictment is. The indictment is a claim that he misreported the payment to uh, Stormy Daniels the 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 uh, uh, porno star that he misreported it um, and that the financial records uh, recorded it as a corporate expense and it should have been uh, recorded as a campaign contribution 
Well, um, the reasoning of the black prosecutor supported by George Soros is that it must have been to shut her up, so it must have been a campaign. But it wasn't a campaign. She was paid by Cohen's, by uh, Trump's lawyer, Cohen, out of his money, and he charged it to the company as a legal expense. So it's really just a question of how the payment was recorded, not that it was made. So they're trying to claim that it should have been recorded um, as a uh, campaign contribution and not as a corporate expense. I so get that's, the, that's the basis. Now, then, and this is in the purview of the New York um, uh, prosecutor, but then they try to turn it into a federal charge. And then they try to, to marry it to uh, the reason he paid it this way or the coin paid it this way um, was to uh, uh, mask it, to hide a campaign contribution as a corporate expenditure. Well, the charge is based on two suppositions of the black prosecutor. Moreover, there is no such law on the books. He's right. taken two separate laws pertaining to specific situations and married them to make a charge. And this is why the charge is roundly denounced by legal experts of every stripe, including Alan Dershowitz, who said this is preposterous. And it might be, and um, everything you said to me there might very well be true. I, I, you've never left me down before. You, when you say something, I know it is what you believe to be true. But if you, if we stop the legalese just for a second, and look at what probably happened, and that money was given to a porn star so that she wouldn't go public about her affair with Trump, you know. No, wait a wait, no, no. I think. She actually had to retract the charge that she had an affair. I'm not certain about that, but this is not about whether or not he had an affair with a porn star. That's not what the charge is. But don't the people of your country deserve better? And I know there are many things that Trump has said that you approve of. Don't you, you're really getting lost here. Go on. It's, one, one of the most well-known things is uh, a woman comes forward to make a charge. It happens every time. Look, what did they do to uh, Bork, Judge Bork? Yeah. What did they do to uh, – uh, what's the black guy on the Supreme Court they're trying to get rid of? Uh, you know who I mean. I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm lost at the moment, but he's, I know exactly who you mean. He's yeah. done a very good – Clarence judge. Thomas, you mean? They had Clarence Thomas, don't you yeah. remember? The, 
the woman came forward and said uh, that he had sexually uh, harassed her and all that, which man was all part of the, I forget the woman's name. Um, every time there's a candidate that the establishment doesn't like, there's a woman that comes forward and makes a charge. I mean, you know, Bill Clinton had a string of them. Dozens, you know? yeah. There was a string of So you can't say, oh, because a woman makes a charge, it must be true. I agree. It's what they use to, when they don't want to debate on an issue, they create uh, a woman to come make a sex charge. That's a very fair point. Absolutely. I don't have any proof that Trump had an affair with this woman. I, I put my cards on the table. Nobody does. No, there isn't any proof. And once again, the indictment of Trump has nothing whatsoever to do with whether or not he had an affair. It's a technicality it with regards with, to the money, right? It has to do with one thing only. How was the payment recorded on the books? And they're saying it was recorded as a corporate legal expense. It should have been recorded as a campaign contribution. The reasoning is, it's the reasoning of the black prosecutor. It's not stated anywhere in law that it had to be a campaign contribution because it came up just before the campaign. And so he was just trying to stop this being an issue. So this is a supposition of the prosecutor that the reason it was put on the books as a corporate expense instead of a campaign contribution was to hide the fact that it was a campaign contribution. And that's the charge they're bringing against Trump. That I, I know precisely what the charge is. This isn't my opinion. No, no, this you're right. The way the charge is written. You've written about it. It's on paulcraigroberts.org. Just, just yeah. can I just say two things for, for listeners who are new to the show? Paul knows this. We've butted heads over Trump in the past. I despise all of them, whether it's Tony Blair, David Cameron, Donald Trump, um, Bill Clinton. I despise them all. I don't believe that any president, however well-meaning, can ever affect any real change because of the very system. And you've explained this to me yourself over the years, how it works, how even good men have gone to D.C. and good women planning to do good things, but, but they can't because it's a swamp. So I don't have any time for any of them. And whatever Trump did or didn't do, you made a very good point. It wouldn't be any worse than Hillary Clinton, than her husband, than uh, the Bushes. Then Look, 100%, I agree with you. On, on that point, it's going to be an absolute circus, isn't it, tomorrow there in New York? A circus. What happens there when, when, when he shows up? Well, I think, uh, I think what's happened, Richie, is independently of, of Trump, it's, uh, they have weaponized law. Law is now a weapon you use to deal with your political opponents. In other words, we have now become, just like the president of Mexico said, the United States is now a third world country. It uses law to oppress its political opponents. The, all yeah. of South America now looks at us and says, ah, oh, look, you're now just like you've always said we were. Where the outgoing president is persecuted by the incoming one and it goes on forever. And this, the effect on the perception of the United States, I think, is deadly. 
And this is the weaponization of law. And the reason is, and here is where you're wrong about Trump. He actually represents the ordinary person. And that's why he's in trouble. And he he's especially in trouble because he said he was going to normalize relations with Russia. Well, the other presidents who tried to do that, John F. Kennedy was shot down and killed. Richard Nixon, Nixon was yeah. framed up with Watergate and driven out of office. So here's Trump. Well, they can't shoot him, but they can certainly frame him up. So what do we have? Russia Gate, two efforts at fake impeachments, insurrection gate, document gate, and now stripper gate. These are one effort after the other to get rid of the only politician that represents the average person. And you know, January the 6th was the ultimate nonsense, wasn't it? In terms of the most badly produced false flag I've ever seen. I mean, and I have no time for Trump. And that's why you're here, Paul. I love you, number one. Number two, my listeners don't need to hear my opinions every day of the week. They need to hear other uh, opinions and points of view. And you might very well be right about Trump and normalising relations with Russia. And I, I liked, you know, I certainly had no problems with him meeting Kim Jong-un. You know, these are the things you expect your leaders to do, is to meet with other leaders and to calm tensions and to build bridges and not make threats across the Atlantic. So, I, look, I take these points yes. on board 100%. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, of course. But you see, this really isn't a question of Trump or whether we like Trump or don't like Trump. It's a question of truth and of the subversion of truth in order to eliminate a political rival or to eliminate a leader they cannot control. So they have to destroy him. Trump has made it clear they can't control him. So they, they're determined to destroy him. Now, the, his support is in the vast ranks of voters. It's not in the Republican Party because they, like the Democrats, are part of the establishment. The, the majority of the Republicans in Washington won't rid of Trump because he is committed to changing the system that makes all their human capital useless. They like the fact that they're paid off by the military security complex, paid off by Big Pharma paid off by agribusiness, paid off by energy and mining. They like to be paid off. They like to sell out the people. And Trump says, I represent the people. I'm going to stop this. And they're going to get rid of him. And that's, that's it. That's what is going on. It's got nothing to do with Trump per se or whether we like him or don't like him or, or anything. That's, we can call him Mr. X. That's the situation. There's, it is a Nazification of America. That's what it is. Can I make two points on that? And I'm going to give you the final word. And this is, this is a grown-up conversation, people. I want to say that to our listeners. You don't get this on social media. When people don't respond to things they don't like hearing, you don't get any sort of conversation. This is where it's at. Go to paulcraigroberts.org, subscribe to Paul's website there, brilliantly written articles, and not just from Paul, but from guest contributors as well. And do support it where you can. 
Look, two things I want to points I want to make on that. Look, regarding Russia and all of that, you might be right. You're a smarter guy than I am, and you've got your finger on the pulse. It's your country, right? But I want to make two points on that. I believe that the Clintons are unimaginably evil. The, the 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 crimes of that particular family are they're 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 almost it's almost comic book stuff. It's so bad. And this guy swore to his base that he would get a special prosecutor to deal with her. And the day after he was elected, he told CBS News that the Clintons are good people. He didn't want to hurt them. And that's number one. Number two, and this is the last thing I'll say, the US military dropping bombs overseas, and I know this because I've looked into this, it didn't cease during the Trump administration. It was just as bad as it was under under his predecessor, um, Barack Obama. And those are two things. And a lot of Trump fans that were really, really into Trump, they said, Richie, he didn't keep many of these promises that he made. We were really excited about him, you know, build a wall, um, stop the immigration coming in, but particularly go after the Clintons and the child abuse and all of that. That's all I'm saying. You'll get the final word on it, Paul. It's uh, brilliant having you back. So what do you say to those two points? Well, I... It's what I've said. He can't. That They won't yeah. let him do anything. He didn't start any more wars. He tried to withdraw troops. The military just doesn't pay any attention. The, the, the military does what it wants to do. Trump didn't tell them to drop bombs. He told them to get out. They simply disobeyed him. I'm sure people advised him, oh, don't, don't start a rip roar thing over the Clintons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Democrats will really hate you. Uh, I'm sure the advice is, look, you don't want to fight with the Clintons if you're trying to make peace with the Russians. That's going to be hard enough. You know, presidents, most presidents realize that they are a figurehead. Trump didn't. He thought he was like the head of his corporation. He was the boss. He would make decisions and people would follow their orders. That doesn't happen in Washington. A president isn't that kind of person. He doesn't have that kind of authority. He has to do what the collection of powerful interests decide is to be done. And they speak through their campaign contributions, through yeah. representatives, through the senators, uh, through all of the uh, cabinet secretaries and the assistant secretaries that they have largely chosen for his government. And he's there in that kind of a soup. And Paul, just because we've got 90 seconds left today, and thanks again for your time. I love having you on, as do um, our listeners. What You're not proving my point, because you've said this yourself over the years, but this is why I disengaged. It's the system itself. So, for example, if Donald J. Trump managed to get elected again, well, it wouldn't make any difference, would it? Over four years, it would just be a circus again of Trump saying, I want to do this, I want to do that the media going after him, the Democrats, his fans and supporters mobilising on the streets, and ultimately nothing concrete would happen. You've just outlined that the system means that no man or woman, no matter how good they are, can do much, really. Yes, except for this. 
But Trump's first attempt, he knew nothing about it. He had no help except General Flynn, and they got rid of General Flynn in the first week or two. This time, I think he has had a massive learning experience. And so the people he puts in charge won't be the representatives of the establishment that he put in charge last time. They would be different people. And yes, they would be up against a big fight, but they would have a much better chance. Trump had no chance because he didn't know enough about the situation to put people in there who were going to support him. And the only two he had, they ran off, uh, Brandon and, and General Flynn. And so, and he let them go. I'm sure he was advised, oh, we can't have a fight this early in the administration, blah, blah. Well, after what he's been through, he now understands. And so you would see a completely different makeup of his government if he ever got back. I don't think he will. I think they'll kill him before they let that happen. Well, the next 12 months, I mean, what are we, we're 15, 16 months away. If one thing is for certain, it's not going to be dull, Paul, is it? The next year and a half. When is the election? Uh, September, uh, November next year. Um, I, we've got to get over yeah. tomorrow first, of course. Yeah, I don't. I, I think that um, there's so many judges now appointed by Democrats, and even one some appointed by the Republicans. Who, as I said, they don't see law as law. It is a a tool for remaking society, and so they would be aligned with uh, Klaus Schwab at the World yeah. Economic Forum, not with Trump. These are the real arbiters, these people. We've had these conversations so many times yeah, over the years. That's right. These are the people. Paul, it's um, always an absolute pleasure to have you on. Listeners love it. If you ever get a chance, go to the live comment section on my website, um, richieallen.co.uk. Folks, subscribe to paulcraigroberts.org. You'll find Paul there, the articles, the books, and do support him. The independent media, we don't have the advertising and the sponsorship that the commercial um, enterprises do. Enjoy the rest of your day, Paul. It should be a fascinating day tomorrow. And thanks as ever. Bye for now. Pleased to be with you, Richie. Thanks again. Thanks, Paul. The great Paul Craig Roberts live on Monday's Richie Allen Show. I'll say it again, paulcraigroberts.org. Great website, great articles on there. Check Paul out there if you haven't done before. The time is fast approaching five minutes, is it, to the top of the air it is. So we've got to kind of get out now. Um, Back with you tomorrow. Kevin Barrett's going to be around tomorrow. Some interesting things to discuss with Kevin on the programme. We will have a phone-in programme later in the week as well. Love the phone-ins. Going to make that, I have been doing anyway, a weekly thing. That's um, Richie Allen. What's wrong with me now? Yeah, stay in touch with richieallen.co.uk. I'll update the website every day and I'll give you a good heads up when we're going to do a phone-in. I think it's probably going to be Wednesday uh, this week for uh, the phone-in. All right, back to wrap up in a few seconds. To all the listeners who have become loyal customers of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last year, we would like to say a big thank you. Because of your continued support, we have been able to introduce our second product. This unique supplement is formulated specifically to reduce pain caused by joint inflammation 
inflammation. Our organic turmeric-based supplement contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract which massively increases its bioavailability and thereby reaching the inflamed area faster. If you are suffering from joint pain, go to NutraHealth365.com for specific details on how our joint health supplement can help give you relief. That's NutraHealth365.com with free tract delivery. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support The Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Right, and that's it for me. Back tomorrow at 5 o'clock with a Tuesday's programme. Closing out with this from Steve Earle then. Thanks a million to Paul Craig Roberts and to Marilyn Hawes. Thank you, Marilyn. And thank you for listening. Speak tomorrow. Bye for now. Bye.